Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Each week, we will take you inside the brightest minds of the most highly regarded executives in the world of enterprise-level revenue operations, marketing, and sales with a focus on the future while creating successful wins today. Now, here's your host, Justin Michael. Welcome back to Quantum Leap in the Neutral Zone for Vendor Neutral. I'm Justin Michael, doing my best William Shatner impression as I can as a futurist, an aspiring futurist. I'm here with Toby Carrington, who is a revenue operations leader for Seismic, and really excited to talk with you today. How are you, Toby? I'm great, Justin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to connect with you. And um, we're talking about enterprise digital transformation as a theme on the show. We're talking about ways to quantum leap, but also predictions on where things are going. Um, what's your approach to transform the enterprise? You could talk about your software, you know, your personal mission as a thought leader. Just curious to kind of crack into your perspectives at a broad level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, great topic. One I'm really passionate about is, and I think that's just been accelerated, right? I mean, in 2020, hasn't planned out, panned out like anybody really, really thought it would. And I think everyone's digital transformations of sales and marketing, their plans have just accelerated. And that's why it's great being at, um, being at Seismic. We're transforming sales and marketing and enablement, um, you know, from small companies through to large companies. So definitely for, you know, all the, the leaders of your, of your, that listen to your show, um, you know, very relevant software as we sort of look to break down barriers between marketing sales, improve seller efficiency, um, you know, and really make sure that in this remote environment, everyone can collaborate and, you know, make sure that they're, they're sending the right messages and so forth out to, out to their prospects and customers. Um, my, my personal view is that we're, get, we're really going to accelerate the age of, data systems and tools augmenting salespeople and this is a you know this is a particular passion of mine justin is around how the the, the future SaaS or any salesperson will actually look um you know what steps we have to take now to organize our software organize our data to actually enable the salesperson of the future that's a you know that's for me a really fascinating topic and it's going to come faster where we might have talked about a five-year time horizon, I think, uh, you know, in the next one to two years, we're going to have this, we're going to see drastically different skill sets and, um, you know, sort of uh, ways of going about doing sales. That's really fascinating. So that's a very broad, great view. Now, what are some tactical tips for doing that in the next year? Someone hears that and goes, great, I love the vision. Um, you know, what are some types of tools that they can buy, types of enablement? That's a lot of like where the rubber meets the road on this stuff is it's like you hear these big visionary statements and then it's just tying that into what's the next step. My view is around specific use cases. I mean, let's take a, a classic one that's often that's often spoke about is, for example, like a customer 360 degree view, um, you know, and really having all the information about a customer or prospect at your at your fingertips sounds simple to do but quite complicated if you think about all the different data sources, all the different tools that maybe need to be integrated with each other and so forth. So I, I take that, for example, as a, as a specific use case that you then need to think about what does that mean for your organisation? What information do you want um, you know, a, a seller to have in a particular situation? And then how do they go about getting it? And there are a number of other different um, you know, 
scenarios like that. So I think it's a, it's more about understanding how your salespeople are going to engage and what they're going to engage on. And another one is, for example, the use of a video, um, you know, in, in, in selling. Now we're all now totally used to Zoom and doing everything um, digitally and so forth, but that's changed a, a lot of um, a lot of things. I mean, the days of face-to-face -face meetings in some scenarios might be might be over, and so you need to think about technology not just for you know communicating to each other, but also making sure that you can get personalised content um, that you can understand what's resonating with with prospects that you make sure that they they are feeling you know special in a certain interaction there's a whole lot of different things associated with that 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 we're seeing so I, my advice is to really think through the specific selling situations that you can imagine to think about those use cases and then to work backwards and say okay what do i need to put in place in terms of systems in terms of data and so forth to enable those that's really helpful for people listening in um, when you think of sales, marketing, and operations, what do you think will be the disruptive forces in the 2020s impacting these disciplines? Um, clearly, moving into a post-pandemic world where we're distributed and remote. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if you touch on these three areas from an operations level and the impact of technology, I'd love to get your opinion. Another broad question, but it's going to really resonate with the listeners. I think the fascinating thing that the, the sort of the pandemic has accelerated from a technology point of view is innovation and changes that will that won't go back. Right? I mean, QR codes at a restaurant, uh, you know, to read the menu that won't change. Touchless payments and things like that. And I think everyone's got to look at their specific um, industry and the things that that that, that touches that won't um, that, that won't go back or that will be forever changed from the from the pandemic. I think that's one topic. You know, a, a highly related topic is the remote nature of, of work. And, you know, I, I heard a really interesting thing the other day, which was, you know, people were saying, well, we'll never go back to the office. Now, I don't believe that because an office is not just a place you go to work. An office is a place you go to get away from your family and your, 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 your normal life and, and routine. So, but it will be done in a modified way. And so, you know, remote collaboration tools, the ability to understand who's doing what at all times, being able to work together, having, having the data interconnected so that you know, you know what, what are your sales team up to? What are the activities they're focused on? Are they the, are they the right things? Um, you know, these, these types of things become more and more important in that, um, in that type of environment. So I think um, it's not gonna be fully remote work like um, people, are, people are saying, but different things are gonna be done remotely and different things are going to be done in person. People are going to organize their days differently. People are going to have different views about meetings and so forth. And so there's got to be a lot of things that focus on, let's say, having the right level of efficiency automation to help to help sellers maximize the use of their time because they're going to have limited face-to-face -face, um, time and they're going to use it differently. You know, those are great points. I mean, there's this whole idea that to do field sales, you really need to go person to person for a certain ticket level, like seven figure deals has to be done in person. It's interesting, we're, we're moving into a 2D medium of Zoom. This is two dimensional, it's not holographics, it's not 3D. As a futurist, I go, how can we make this more robust? But I think I also talked to a lot of leaders who have been doing uh, remote work and large remote sales across oceans, across continents for years. So is it really that different? Um, how can we learn from evergreen methods that work? Like how do we build trust 
in these static environments. We can't shake hands, break bread, like have that instinct of like our trust centers when we're in front of someone, right? It's, it's kind of occluding our ability to do that. How do we transcend that? That's a good question. I, I mean, for me, that's a personal battle. I mean, being Australian, there's nothing more that I love more than having a beer with uh, with people. And for me, that's 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 the ritual, right? I'm not sure about shaking hands. Uh, you know, I I love the the ritual of, of that, but are we going to do that anymore? I mean, the elbow bump or the fist bump or whatever might might take over. I'm not sure, but I certainly am still looking forward to to having dinner, um, you know, having a drink and, and so forth with um, you know, with clients and prospects and things like that. But quite honestly, I mean, you know, we've done some transactions. You know, I, I'm I'm probably one of the predominant buyers of technology, at least you know, for all the all the Martech, um, you know, everything in the CRM tech stack at, at Seismic runs runs through me. And I've I've made some significant purchases in the last few few months with people that I've never met in person. I think there's there's different types of touch points. And again, it's about, for me, it's about making sure that as a buyer, you're getting, you're getting, you feel like you're getting a personal experience, right? One of the big things about, about digital is that there's a risk of, you know, you've all seen those horror stories about people that are prospecting and they put the wrong things in mass mail campaigns or they, you know, it's nothing seems personal. And, you know, for me, the most successful interactions are, are where they're personal, where there's, where there's relevant content for me, it adds value. And I think you can build trust through, through that. And I've certainly, you know, made um, six figure purchases in the last, in the last few months with people that I've not met. And we were able to build trust over you know, a different series of touch points, but they also made sure every time they were giving me exactly what I needed at that particular, you know, stage of my buying journey. Yeah. That's really cool to talk to someone who does that because it resonates. I, there's an article where it talks about the enterprise having 91 vendors in their stack. Uh, two questions. How are you consolidating your tech stack? And then are there areas where you actually need a point solution where you know you go deeper to a specialist form of software because it's either more disruptive, it's more of a startup, it's, it's stealth, it's so cutting edge. I feel like there's two forces, right? And, and how do you decide whether to make the additional expenditure to the stack because you really need what it does or is there just an overall overarching let's get blended tech stacks going i mean as a buyer and you have a lot of other buyers listening to this they're trying to evaluate that right now because there's risk and reward to both moves i think it's always a good practice to to continuously review your, your tech stack right i mean there's of course a cost to there's a cost to change and you know you build certain business processes around it for us, it's important to to stay best in best in class. I mean, Seismic is the the leading sales enablement platform, and we try very hard to ensure that we have integrations and you know our own deployment of also you know best in class leading leading solutions. But you know, new categories are constantly um, created. There are there are also things that you know were market leading that then you know are not so much are disrupted in one one way or the other. And I think it's important to stay to stay current with that. So, I mean, I focus very heavily on integration. For me, I don't want one app that rules them all. Nor do I want hundred apps where people have to go. I think there's 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 certainly room for you know three, four, five key sort of entry points. Again, depending on the use case um, that people can go into, but it has to be at a manageable level. I mean, take your, you know, you take your, your iPhone or Android or whatever, you, you don't just have one app that you go into that manages your entire life. 
but you also don't have 75 that you use regularly, right? I think that I think the Google toothbrush test is a good um, is a good one. If you don't use something at least twice a day, um, it's not really sticky and not useful. And so for me, I assess things are are our people using them at least twice a day? If they are, they're probably fine. And then let's look at the the integration uh, of those things together and see if there's more consolidation opportunity. Um, you know, to, maybe you're still using the technology, but entering it and accessing it in a different way. But if someone's not using something twice a day, then it's not really sticky. It's not really critical for their life, and and you know you should think of ways of consolidating that. Yeah, I like that. That's really, really prudent. So, how do you integrate? Because some people are putting their developers on writing the APIs and literally using internal dev resources because some of these tools do not talk to each other. So that's I think as um, as a leader, a place where you can give advice, do you look for stuff that works out of the box? Like some people say, hey, it all has to integrate with Salesforce. And that's, I think, part of Salesforce's dominance is its extensibility, for example, um, or any marketing cloud for that respect. I'm really trying to take a neutral viewpoint here. I'll just give you an example. But how do you integrate? You're, you're doing a lot of this buying. So that's, I think, very relevant for, for the people listening who are trying to take the leap, get new tech stacks, economize, but integrate. So I think two, two things. I mean, if everybody just deployed everything out of the box as the, the vendors would, would recommend it, um, you know, we'd probably have Utopia and we wouldn't have to worry about it too much. But, uh, you know, the real reality is, especially for people in ops and systems and so forth, they know different executives have different views. They had something set up in a different way at their previous company and they always want to want to customise. My advice is actually the same as it, as it was before around focusing on the use cases. Integration for integration's sake makes no makes no sense. You need to integrate the right pieces of information and the right um, you know, systems with each other where it makes sense, where, where, people, where people work is where you want an integration. And one of the things we focus on um, with Seismic is being able to integrate to whichever systems people work in. So if they prefer to, to work, that an organisation wants them to work out of um, Seismic, then you know we we start them in seismic and they they work everything else out of out, out of that. If they prefer to work out of Salesforce or Dynamics or whatever the case may be, um, we integrate there and make sure that you have the full functionality or the functionality that they need where they need it. So I think there's no silver bullet to how to do integrations other than I would say don't don't just integrate for integrations sake. You have to think about again who's who's using this software is it a salesperson a customer success manager a marketing person they have different personas they have different needs and so walk through like a day in the life of a salesperson and then think about how the technology and how the integrations would make their life better and focus on doing on doing that and you know most software vendors um, you know if they you know should certainly be able to support that level of um, integration without you internally having to do too much yourself it's very helpful. So spanning our attention out, like where, let's talk a little bit about the utopia. What can people build? Like, what do you need? I love this question. You know, I'm like, what, what are you most excited about in the families of tools, whether that's point solutions or blended systems for enterprise MarTech or right. And I've had some people answer none of it. It was, it was kind of like that moment where everybody was just investing in the next photo sharing app or there was you know 72 social media networks and you're kind of like can we cure cancer or COVID or like should we do some of uh, this other stuff or do we need more photo sharing apps right I sometimes feel like there's there's such a VC instinct to fund similar things and people get caught in this spiral rut where we're just putting out you know 
another social listening tool or something. So for you uh, sitting in hovercraft mode uh, for your organization and then talking to a lot of enablement leaders and looking at a ton of software, you know, where should technologists go to help the transformation? What needs to be built? Is it in the glue? Is it in the solution? I'm curious your, your comprehensive thoughts on this. So if I, if I think about that, you know, you know, there's a lot of noble things, of course, we could do. If I, if I keep it to the, you know, sort of digitalization of the future of sales and marketing, I, I, what I most want is the Siri or Alexa, the virtual assistant for a salesperson, right? I, I want, um, and that's going to pull together. That's going to be a, like a kind of a front end that pulls together heaps of different systems below that. But, you know, you were talking before about consolidation and integration and so forth. If you imagine that everything's perfectly integrated for what I what I need, you then need a way of, um, you know, engaging with that. And it might be multiple applications and multiple systems below it, but having an engagement interface like a Siri or Alexa that's a virtual assistant. You know, right now you you ask Siri or you ask Alexa for directions or where's the nearest coffee shop and, and so forth. But the that the future can absolutely be, you know, to ask, tell me about the last 12 months of transactions with this customer. Based on based on data that you see that's public or you know in the CRM, what would you predict for the future? You know, there's there's different things you can engage with a like a virtual assistant in an intelligent an intelligent manner, and I think that's the sort of future of of selling and and, and buying is where everybody has all of this information that they can use to make the the best decisions that they that they can for for each other and create value rather than wasting wasting unnecessary time with discovering things that should be partial that should be already known or at least partially partially known from from data um, making sure that you can hyper personalize again you know what, what we do at, at seismic is make sure that we deliver the absolute right content um, to a to a buyer you know where they need it in the, in the buying journey and you know you, there's a lot of data points that go into into determining that but you know you could you could just interact with a virtual assistant and say you know what content do you recommend I send to, to Justin um, and you know and Siri or Alexa or whatever will say here's what you should send and I think so I think something like that or they should you know recommend price to you based on different factors or things like that I think that type of interface layer is something that's definitely going to be coming as as this type of you know, virtual assistant for salespeople uh, becomes a reality. We have to learn to trust AI and then we need very clean data because imagine yeah. during this Zoom call, one of the big misses right now is we're on this static Zoom and I should, I think, have an AI assistant that's talking to me right now about your LinkedIn yeah. profile, pulling yes. your last three quotes that you exactly. cared about. I mean, there could be some robot working informing our chat and it could be happening for you too like a heads-up display it could just be like hey ask yep. toby about the last he was just on this event last week in london what exactly How exactly <laughs> exactly that's exactly what i imagine and and i mean we have the we have the the data and we have theoretically we have the technology we will soon to be able to do that it's about putting it together and again you still have to think about the use cases right you have to think about what are the things that i would want to know you've got to teach you've got to teach the um the machine you know the useful the useful thing but that's exactly right it'll it'll scan all sorts of data for me and it will tell you what to say to me it will tell you what to to show to me it'll it'll add value and that will help building rapport and trust and everything like that as long as we have um you know clean data and sensible uh, sensible ai working but that's exactly exactly what i think will add a lot of value one of the areas i'm excited about when i talk to leaders of these fields is prediction 
and predictive mm -hmm. analytics. Love your take on that. For example, you're about to unleash a marketing program and then there's benchmark data that's big enough that can kind of predict what your subject line or content will do. Or you're asking questions or you have a listen to talk ratio, like literally in real time, I'm an advisor to a company called Lavender, where as you write, it gives the flesh Kincaid, the reading level. Is it pretentious? Does it sound studious? Well, I mean, you can have AI and ML kind of working as you go. How, how has predictive analytics, uh, big data, AI, ML, I'm gonna throw some buzzword bingo out there. These are the hot words in the fourth industrial revolution. What's your take on that? What should it look like? How are you already leveraging it? Yeah, so I mean, for us, we surface um, recommended content, right? So I mean, that's definitely, you know, I think that's an important topic to, to predict the type of content that's going to bring the most success, that's going to resonate, that's going to be personalized and, and so forth. And that's very important, right? I mean, without without content or stories to to, to tell, um, you know, there's there's especially if it's digital, right, there's there's limited things to talk about. But if, if I'm having a, a sales conversation with you and I can produce the appropriate um, case studies and things that you would want to know about, and it's a, it's a well-informed prediction and the you know, algorithms and so forth are good, then that's, um, that's definitely a value add. So I see, I see that. I also am a believer, though, that we've got to retain that individual touch. I mean, if we, if we all start getting, getting told to talk in a certain tone and in a certain way and in a certain uh, thing, you know, we, we all risk sounding the same, right? And I think that authenticity and so forth is still really, really important. So I, I believe in things like, um, you know, recommended next best action in a sales process or, you know, um, a machine guiding um, things. But I still think that you've got to have the, the keys to the car in the, hand of the hands of the person that's, that's doing it. It would take a lot for me to trust a virtual assistant to do, to do certain things automatically on my behalf, um, you know, before I, you know, before I'd be really comfortable to do that. I mean, for example, right, like, so we were having this meeting and in, in advance, you know, theoretically the, you know, AI assistant could confirm the meeting with you, make sure we're going to be on time, remind me and do, do things like that. It could also send you some, uh, you know, material. It could also send some suggestions. It could send a follow-up meeting already, things like that. It could take proactive actions. And I think, um, you know, that'll, for me, that would come cautiously, right? But I like the, I like the general direction of recommended actions and, um, you know, even machines taking actions on our behalf, because for me, it's all about improving productivity. That's a great point and trusting in those machines. So another really interesting statistic, a lot of people are, you know, how do we upskill our workforce? Like I've seen this hmm. thing in the pandemic where everyone's studying and doing e-learning and you saw lynda.com and LinkedIn and LinkedIn learnings, you know, exploding with growth with masterclass and Chris Voss is on there. People are taking steps to educate, but we all kind of know because of Morse curve that it's actually impossible to have the skills we'll need in 2025 in 2020. Um, so a big theme in my work is like learning how to learn and technology quotient. How can people in your view stay ahead of the market or adapt fast enough? What is the meta skill um, for thought leaders across sales, marketing operations, uh, across technology to keep pace, to stay relevant? What should you be working on right now? Now some people say, okay, become fluent in Mandarin and learn Node.js. I'm probably not going to do that. 
<laughs> but no need, no need to, no need to learn, no need to learn man, Mandarin, Justin. I mean, you'll have you'll have a thing in your ear that can translate, or or your your virtual sales assistant can translate from from English into Mandarin if you're talking to someone in China. No problem. You don't need to learn Mandarin. Um, yeah. You, I mean, my view here, of course, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I uh, yeah, I wish I could speak Mandarin, but I won't have to in a few years. I think that. Um, being able to master that technology, right? Not everyone's going to be able to learn to, to code. So I have a seven, I have a seven-year-old daughter, you know, you mentioned before you have a five-year-old. So I have a, I have a seven-year-old daughter and I'd always looked at her. I mean, she's generation alpha, it's called, right? And um, she's into, you know, she's of course into, a, you know, iPad and apps and things like that, but she's into virtual reality and she's into other things, but she's also like into things that I was into like sport and music and, and other things, right? So, she has to have a technical fluency that we don't have. And I think that's critical, right? So you've got to be able to be technically fluent. But to me, it's at the level of understanding how to interact and engage and get the best out of these apps because there's still going to be a ton of people that, you know, work in enablement, ops, whatever roles that will work to understand, make these systems work. Um, it's going to be being able to master these different things to help you to do your, to do your job. Um, it's not so much that you need to be able, I mean, not everyone needs to be able to write uh, algorithms or do anything like that, but you need to be able to understand how to use technology to get, to get the, the best out of it. So for me, it's sort of that, that learning agility around, um, around technology. And I mean, something that we, we see is a the pace of, of change is just so, is just so fast. And, um, but I think there are certain, it's, it's not so much also just people, it's also certain industries that are, that are, that are being completely um, disrupted. So there will be a natural lag as certain, you know, paper-based in industries go all, go all digital, certain face-to-face -face uh, industries go more, go more digital and things like that. So, um, you know, for, for me, it's about sort of being able to master what you need to get out of the tech as opposed to necessarily needing to understand how it all works. Yeah, I feel like there's been almost a fundamental shift. So we've seen less IPOs than ever. We've seen these mega funding rounds, like $100 million rounds. We've seen companies that are worth a trillion dollar valuation, like the Amazons and Googles. And then we have this, this view, not just to become a billionaire unicorn, a billion dollar unicorn, but a decacorn and a hectocorn. And it's just getting crazy. What I would ask to you is like being in a RevOps role in a company, is you know is margin and profitability a fun thing now i know it was all about the pre-revenue and we can just go get this funny money and everyone's funding how are we going to see a shift to fundamentals when we're in a right-sizing environment you know people are verticals are getting knocked out so is a fundamental shift in business happening too where roi is more critical or is there still that appetite for innovation where there's a lot of risk and a lot of dollars to innovate just to purely innovate even before there's a a proven MVP and I'm opening up a Pandora's box, but seismic is in some ways, you know, cutting edge startup and very innovative. What are your thoughts on disruptive innovation and business models in the 2020s and how to get started? It's a, it's a big question. I was a, so in a, in a former life, I was a CFO. And so, you know, I definitely believe in like robust businesses that are adding value and that are, that are, that are hopefully contributing something to society or different professions or, or, or what have you right now. You don't necessarily need to make a profit to to do that, but I'm a, a bigger believer in you know that business fundamentals have to be solid for something to be real. I mean, we've seen a lot of um, 
know, crazy evaluations and, and then IPOs and all sorts of things built on, you know, built on on nothing, right? And investors have been, you know, fooled and, and, and so forth. And I think um, the, the key is that we we generate some sort of value. We still see when we talk to to chief marketing officers, chief revenue officers, and so forth, we still see um, an intense focus on the bottom line, on being able to prove um, return on investment, on being able to to show clear attribution between you know what people are doing and how it's bringing results. So I still think that those fundamentals won't um, change. And given the fact that many of these companies that did not have robust business um, business models and, and um, you know, were maybe not so solid from a financial point of view have, have struggled during the pandemic, I think that'll see a, a return. And uh, I mean, I, I still firmly believe that, you know, companies are going to have to show a strong ROI. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. So we're just going to wrap here a couple more minutes. Um, what is like motivating you? Like what gets you up in the morning when it comes to excitement or motivation around technology innovation? You know, I think um, people are looking for inspiration too on the show, like to take the quantum leap to innovate. Um, is there particular thought leaders or books that are exciting you? Like some people are excited that Jeff Bezos is, you know, doing Blue Origin and building rockets, you know? I mean, it's it's different from everyone. Elon Musk has definitely taken the oxygen out of the room with uh, some of the things he's trying to do. Um, what inspires you? Yeah, I think for me, it's my daughter and having that, you know, that, that the generations, hopefully of my family that, that follow her, you know, also have something that's worth, that's worth uh, being around for, right? So I really believe in, you know, a lot of this sort of clean technology and, um, you know, the future, the future there. I mean, throughout history, as humans have faced these sort of uh, environmental crises or different things like that, they've been able to, to innovate. So I think that's, um, you know, that's something that, that I really, really care about, um, you know, in, 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 a, in a work sense, working for Seismic, I love to be able to bring this sort of digital transformation because digital transformation is happening everywhere in our lives. And I love that we're able to bring digital transformation to, you know, sales and marketing, customer success teams that haven't had it before because um, it makes their lives, uh, you know, the people's lives that, that use our software makes it, makes it, makes it better, gives them, makes them more productive. I mean, we used to, to, to joke at some customers about, you know, some of the automation benefits and things like that we're, we're doing gives you your Friday afternoon back, saves you saves you time, makes you more productive. I mean, if you save 25, 30% of time, you can view it in different ways. You know, that might be you more productive at a work sense, but it might also mean you spend more time with your family and so forth. So, you know, for me, I, I always equate things to productivity um, improvements, efficiency improvements in whatever, whatever the case may be. And, you know, if that's to... If that's to save the world or that's to spend more time with your family, I think that's good inspiration. I love it. Well, where can people find you? Um, just Toby Carrington on LinkedIn or side? Yep. Give us a place to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Toby Carrington on, on, on LinkedIn or if anybody wants to email me direct, directly, it's uh, tcarrington at seismic.com. And yeah, and seismic is S and Sam, E-I-S-M-I-C. Make sure you got the uh, pronunciation there. And um, really excited to have you on the show. Thanks so much for sharing insights and we'll have you on again. And uh, future is bright. Love the way you finished with that. Uh, awesome. There. Thanks, Thanks for having me, Justin. You got it. Thanks for listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. 
Be sure to visit VendorNeutral.com, where you can access the show notes, discover many valuable free resources, and subscribe to the podcast.